You may be seated. <laughs> amen, amen. I tell you, we had so much fun in the last service. It's great to be able to worship the Lord together as the people of God. Um, you know, uh, as we are going through this process together, um, it is not easy on any of us, and as we're trying to figure out, even as a church, how to meet together, uh, I'd encourage you to continue to watch uh, our uh, Facebook and uh, check out our newsletter. If you don't have the newsletter, uh, please just contact us at info at redeemerbrenham.org, and we'll send that to you weekly so you know what's going on. Um, with the cases spiking and, and everything that's happening, who knows what's going to happen next week. So, uh, we'll, But we'll do it together. So stay tuned with, as we continue to monitor the situation and try to decide what is, uh, what is healthy and best for us as the people of God. Now, as I said that, <laughs> I imagine that you were thinking, in fact, if I was sitting where you were, I would try to be trying to size up the guy on the stage and the elders and all and say, well, what, which side are they on? What, what do they really believe about this? You know, we, we all have our cries at this time. We have our own laments. And uh, you have yours, I'm sure I have mine. And some in these moments are lamenting maybe several things. We are crying out to God and are crying out to each other. And we are saying, uh, you know, I think all these people are crazy. And we don't know exactly which group you're talking about because I think we're all crazy right now. But uh, some are coming and there, there is fear and concern and those who are much more liberal in this area, uh, I can't believe they're saying and doing those things. And vice versa, happening on the opposite end. And so as we spend time together, I'm, I'm sure you're like the rest of us. When you're with other people, you give your cry. And you even rehearse it when you're not around them, so you'll be good at it when you talk to them. And as you hear other things, you begin to combat it in your mind so that you might have your cry down. Well, it seems like it is the thing to talk about, whether it's COVID or it's All Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter or Antifa or whatever, the start of the football season, the baseball season, the basketball season, all those things, we have our cries about. It shouldn't be like this. Amen? Maybe, maybe I'm not preaching to the same people I was before. Y'all are different, I guess. No, I think we're all the same. We have our cries. And so today, you don't have to say it out loud, because we'll be here for a while, but what is your cry? What's yours? What's your take? Justin has uh, encouraged us and led us to study the Psalms and, and participate in the Psalms, especially in the season. So for the next several weeks, we will book in the, be in the, the book of Psalms. Uh, today we'll be in Psalm 86. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and we're going to focus mainly on the first half of it and the, the last verse of it, uh, of Psalm chapter 86. Psalms uh, were to be used in worship. In fact, the word psalm is the word for praise. And so they are part of the worship of the people of God 
both as individuals and corporately. And in fact, the Psalms, we believe, were used in the, the uh, instrumentation of worship in the temple. And as the people would go to the temple, there would be songs that they would sing as they approached. There were songs for all kinds of circumstances, both to be used individually and as a group. And so our hope is for us to approach the Psalms as the people of God and understand how to pray the Psalms, how to, uh, to use the Psalms as they were intended. And I would, I would encourage you in these three things especially, as you look at the Psalms, and maybe you've heard that before, someone has said to you, we've probably said it to you, you should, you should consider praying the Psalms. And when you got there, you kind of dabbled in it and you said, I just, it doesn't quite, I don't know exactly how to do this. And so today I want to encourage you in those things, uh, both as individuals and us corporately, to use the Psalms in our praise and in our worship more regularly. And there are three things that I want you to do. I want us, first of all, to look at the Psalm and appreciate it, then meditate, and then the third one is participate. Glad I had my notes. Appreciate, meditate, and participate in the psalm. This is how we should approach the psalms. And so I'm going to spend the first part of our time uh, really appreciating the psalm. What, what is this psalm about? How is it made up? How would it be used uh, individually in worship so that we might appreciate it, might look at it and say, ah, this is much richer than I got when I first read it. And I would encourage you at home if you, uh, to get a study Bible. And oftentimes there'll be notes like ESV study Bible. And there, there are notes at the bottom that will give you a little more information that will help you to appreciate a particular psalm so that you can pray on it, you can meditate on it, you can participate through praying through it. And I, I believe that it's going to bring some richness to your life. It has for believers for centuries, so it'll probably work for you too. You know, I, I, I'm going to ask this question over and over again. What is your cry? It seems part of that answer is we can give our specific cry, but we also think about who are we crying to? Psalm 86 is a cry. It is a lament. And I wonder how well we are lamenting the way we're going about it. As I've told this story before about some of my, uh, our Russian Baptist counterparts uh, some years ago when I was telling them some of the uh, activities of the church in America, they turned to me and said, Zed Christian. And I have to wonder, are our cries Christian? Let's read the first half, Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. 
gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among other gods. O Lord, no are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Appreciate, meditate, participate. The, the book begins with not a verse, but it begins with a title. I mean, this chapter begins with the title, A Prayer of David. Now, when it says a prayer of David, it doesn't necessarily mean that David even wrote this prayer. But it, it could be that it is a prayer that you would expect from David. It is a psalm that David would write, a prayer of David. And in fact, if you look at all of these verses, if you were to read the first 85 psalms, you would read almost all of these verses, these particular verses, one place or another. So these thoughts are not unique in this, this chapter, they, they are borrowed from other places and brought together. And so the beauty in this is not necessarily the uniqueness of any of these, but the bring together as a, a prayer of lament for David. So when we think about David, we can think about all the, the trouble that he'd been through and all the glorious things that he had been through. And so we, we hear this as coming from the heart of David. You can remember David. David. David had some great moments and he had some terrible, terrible moments. In fact, the kingdom is brought up to great heights under King David and it falls under King David. He is a, a figure who has seen the, the glory of God enter in. He is celebrated and danced as the Ark of the Covenant approached Jerusalem. He loves his God. But also we see that he has to flee the city because of his uh, unfaithfulness with his children and because of his unfaithfulness to God, he, he has to leave the city. David knows. He knows lament. Let's look at the first verse. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. If this is a psalm of David, that means it's a kingly lament. It, it is a king who doesn't really lack anything. So you look at this and you say, how is King David poor and needy? And so we have to ask ourselves too, how am I poor and needy? Are you poor and needy? Yet David can say very honestly that he was poor and needy. Not because he lacked financial resources, but because he needed God. He needed God. The beginnings of our cry are to cry to God because we recognize our position and our place. So what is your cry? 
Is your cry coming from a place that is honest? Is it coming from a place that truly recognizes your place before God and in this world? You know, as I think about David, as he's leaving Jerusalem, and he goes down the valley, Jerusalem's up on a hill, and he's going down a valley, and he's coming back up again, and he's with his mighty men. He's lost the fortress. He's lost his home to his son. Uh, terrible things are being done to him. It seems like all is lost. And as he goes up this hill, he runs into Shammai. And Shammai is the, the grandson of King Saul. And King Saul is the one who David replaced. And Shammai is there, and as David is coming up the hill, he starts throwing dirt at David and rocks at David and curses at him and, and, and mocks him because he's lost everything. And he does it in David's lowest valley as he's coming out of the valley. Shammai is just raining down on him these terrible epithets. epithets. And, and there beside him are his mighty men, and they're hearing all this, so he's being shamed in front of all these people in a most shameful, sad moment. And Shammai is out there, blah, right on him. And as he goes up the hill, the mighty men said, let us just fillet him. They just want to get after him. But David says no, because he believes that God may be saying something through Shammai to him that he needs to hear. So, so leave him alone for now. David knew what it was to be poor and needy. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are they. As we are the people of God, as we enter into psalms of lament, as we learn how to cry as the people of God, we begin poor and needy, humbly before God. We are either humble or have been humbled. The good news is that as we cry out to God, he hears us. Do you hear that word? Incline your ear, O Lord. That means to bend down. Let your ear be bent towards me. Why do you have to bend the ear to someone like this? It's when you can't hear them or the person crying out thinks you can't hear them. So you, please bend your ear. I can't imagine that you can hear me from where I am right now. And so as you come to God, there are times in our life when we feel so broken. We see, see because of our sin, we are so far from God. It's as if I don't know if God can even hear me right now. I don't know if that God wants to, wants to hear me. Amen? I don't, I've messed up so bad. I don't think I can get a hearing from God. And I'm not so sure that's where David is. I have messed this up. Royally, King David. <laughs> As only David could. But he says, so then, God, will you strain? <laughs> will you incline your ear, bend down lower, so that you might hear me as I'm so far away from you? Have you prayed those prayers that you feel that are just hitting the ceiling, that they're not getting anywhere? Like, God, I, 
please hear me right now. You're going to have to come down because my prayers are just making it this far. You're going to have to come down to hear these prayers because there's nothing behind them. Amen? Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. I need you to hear me. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. It isn't a one-stop experience with God. Oh, I prayed. But like Thessalonians then is inspired to say, pray without ceasing, with thanksgiving in your heart. So we as the people of God continue to bring our laments towards God. Lord God, it's not right. I'm broken. The world's broken. Things are not going to change unless you do something. Lord God, please give us gifts that we do not deserve. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I need some grace here. I have not reached up to the bar. I have no power to change. What is your cry? Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. My whole being, I I lift up to you. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who come upon you, who call upon you. Now, as I read that, does that prick any ears? Have you heard that expression before? It is the expression that came from Exodus. It's where Moses is going up the mountain and he's carved out these two tablets. And he, as he approaches the mountain, you remember the mountain shaking and there's smoke and fire. And he goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments as the children of Israel are coming out of, the prom, uh, out of Egypt towards the promised land. They are learning what it is to be God's people. And as he goes up the mountain, these are the words that God gives to him. He expresses who he is to Moses so Moses might express it to his people that he is a forgiving God, abounding in chesed, the steadfast love to all who call upon you. So what David is doing here in this psalm, he's saying, I'm calling upon you, Lord, in the way that you told us to. I'm calling upon you, God, as you have taught us who you are. As we look back at Moses, and I, I look back thousands of years back to the generations before to Moses, as he went up that, amen, thank you. Just getting going. And so they went up the mountain and God spoke to him and said, this is the kind of God that you are getting in this relationship. I will be with you forever. And my love, God is saying to his people, is an enduring love. So you're going to go back and forth in your affections. You're going to go back and forth in your righteousness. But God is saying that his love doesn't move. It stays on you. It is steadfast. It keeps going. And it has been going since the time of Moses to the time of David. And so David's reflecting on generations and generations through the book of Judges, through the book of Kings, that we see that God has been faithful. In the book of Ruth, God has been faithful and steadfast with this chesed kind of love 
even though the people have gone this way and that. And he's not just been faithful to David, but he's been faithful from generation to generation to the coming of his son, his Hased. And the coming of his son, he's been faithful from generation to generation to a people whose hearts have gone this way and that way, whose righteousness has gone this way and that way. God has been faithful even until today. Even until today. So if it was good for Moses, it was good for David. His love is good for the coming of his son and his love is good to you and to me today. And from generation to generation to generation after us until the coming of his son again. Amen. And so David calls out this eternal praise of a God whose love doesn't change. A love that, that endures. A love that is faithful. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all all kinds of people in all times who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you answer me. What is your call? And to whom do you call? There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And then, verse 11. As we appreciate Psalm 86, we have to know a little bit about this kind of poetry. We're used to a kind of meter and a rhythm and, and rhyming. That's a com really common in our kind of poetry. But this Hebrew poetry is different than ours. It, like, if we really expand, we, if like you're really cultured, you don't even know what a haiku is, right? That has nothing, it doesn't sound anything like what we have. And here we have in the, this Hebrew poetry, and it, it is arranged, the word for it is, in a chiasm. So the, word, the letter chi uh, in Greek is, this, is the X, right? And so it has this shape to the point. I think maybe you would have, uh, there we are, we have it up there. So you can see the first few verses are like the last few verses. The first few verses are talking about the servant, your servant. We see it in two and four. And then the last verses are talking about your servant. We're going to read uh, verse 17 at the end. And then you move inward and they, they reflect each other until you get to the center of the chiasm. And when you do that, you find out the center of the poetry. You understand what it's all focusing towards. And that is verse 11. Listen, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is a lament. This is a cry to God. It starts out him talking about himself. Lord, this is where I am. I'm down here. I need you to hear me. Please hear me. And you hear these laments. He'll oftentimes lambast his enemies and ask for, for God to fight against them. And, and he'll moan and mourn the troubles that he has. And it all is leading to this focus on God. 
And I, I met with uh, Jarvis. Uh, so many of y'all know he's, he comes and visits our church, he and Michelle, and they just had a little, little boy, Jarvis Jr., and he is a beautiful little boy. He stopped by this week, and he was telling me, um, before I even got to meet little Jarvis, he was telling me about how sweet a child he is, and he, and he began to talk about his cries. And so if you're around a baby for very long, you begin to distinguish the kinds of cries they have. And he said, when he's crying for hung, being hungry, he's not like most kids, he has this... He has this sweet little cry. And as you spend more time with these little ones, you begin to understand what is behind the cry, right? They're angry. Their their diaper's dirty. They're hungry. Whatever it might be, you kind of get, oh, I, I know what's going on. I can just hear their cry. And for you and me, as we are talking with other people, I have to ask the question again, what is our cry? Is it, a, is it a cry that remembers God in the midst of it? Or is it a cry of anger, of loneliness? Is it a cry of despair? The, 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 the book of Psalms has a lot of these laments in it. And you, you have to, if you're a faithful reader, you have to ask, what's the difference between these laments and God being angry at the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness and they were grumbling? Do you remember that? Man, the children of Israel faced God's uh, judgment because they grumble. Are these, what we're reading, are they grumbling before the Lord? And I think there's a distinction between the two. When the children of Israel were crying out, lamenting, they were crying out in a way, oftentimes it was just between them. They were complaining about Moses and about Moses as God. And they were thinking that it was better back there than what God was going to lead them to. It wasn't with God as the center, as in their hope, but it was just grumbling. They had the cry of a baby who was just angry. Selfish. What's our cry? Is Christ at the center of that cry? Yeah, I'm not telling you not to cry. I'm not telling you not to lament. In fact, I'm telling you just the opposite. Lament. Cry. We should all do that. It is healthy and well. It's a big section of the Psalms, there are cries before God. We bring all of these things before him. We are going to have trials and troubles. It is part of the life that we live in today. But there's a time that is coming. And in the midst of it, we can't forget our God. What is your cry? Is it Christian? Is God at the center of it? Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. St. Augustine said, Standing on earth, thou art in heaven, if thou lovest God. Standing on the earth, Thou art in heaven if thou lovest God. For the heart 
is not so raised as the body is raised. The heart is not so raised as the body is raised. The body to be lifted up changes its place. The heart to be lifted up changes its will. You see, as we place God at the center, we see him as the center and focus on him as the center of our life and the world. It begins to change our will. Both the way we think and the way we act, we know that God is at the center. The, the psalm ends by saying, show me a sign of your favor. Verse 17, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The psalm ends as it began, recognizing now my place and your place and David's place in relation to God. He is going to save the day. We know how the story ends. So take heart. Don't worry. Don't be concerned like the world is worried and concerned. Cry. Cry in the right way. Uh, You know the story of Abraham and Sarah. They had been waiting for a child for so long. And when Abraham heard the news in his old age that he was going to have a baby, he laughed. He laughed because he knew this God. And he had trusted this God. And he knew that he could do immeasurable things. And to think that he was going to have a baby was so exciting, he laughed. Sarah laughed. When she heard the news, she laughed. But she didn't laugh the same way Abraham did, apparently, because God was not happy with her. Poor Sarah. You know, you can laugh in different ways. And then the story goes that they have a son and his name is Isaac, which means he laughs. So in the end, who got the last laugh? God did. Just as there's different kinds of laughs, so there are different kinds of cries. Is your cry one that is fear that filled with the presence of God? Is it a cry that comes from a place of humility and neediness? Is it a cry that sees God's big plan and trusts him with your deliverance? Is it a cry that really brings praise to God? Be careful who you cry to. It's okay to talk about it. But don't forget who's at the center of the cry. I'm going to close because we said appreciate, meditate, and participate. We're going to pray Psalm 86. I'm going to pray. You can pray in your your hearts and minds with me. And I'm going to read through it as a corporate prayer. I'm going to read 1 through 11 and then verse 17. I'll try to get through it. (laughs) Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer us. For we here are poor and needy. 
Preserve our lives, for we are godly. Save your servants who trust in you. You are our God. Be gracious to us, O Lord, for to you, to you do we cry all the day. Gladden the souls of your servants in these days, Lord. For to you, O Lord, do we lift up our souls. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. In this day, in these days of troubles, we call upon you. For you answer us. There is none like you among the gods. There are none among you like the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made all over the world. One day they will all come and worship before you. O Lord, and, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach us your way, O Lord. That we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. And finally, show us a sign of your favor. That those who hate may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped us and comforted us. Lord, we lift these words to you today, our lament and our cry. And for some reason, with heavy hearts, we feel lifted. We praise your name because we are not alone. We thank you that we can walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.